bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Barry Diller, the IAC and Expedia chairman, who also ran a movie studio and a TV network on the historic Tinseltown strikes. This one is almost like the crew of the Titanic 10 minutes after the iceberg hits decides to strike. And the existential shift coming to the content industry. Hollywood hegemony over 100 years, no matter what came along, they were able to buy it. Diller on strikes, streaming, and yep, politics. I'm not against old guys, but we're talking about two old guys, and we're bottling up all the real talent that's around in both parties. Plus the rest of today's stories that got us squawking. ChatGPT can now see, hear, and speak. AI's coming for you. Jamie Dimon on the biggest risks to the global economy. And striking auto workers in Detroit get a guest star. It's the first time in over 100 years we've never had a sitting president who goes to stand on the picket line. It's Tuesday, September 26th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Gang's all back together. Barely. (laughs) Yeah, barely made it. J.P. Morgan's uh, CEO uh, speaking to CNBC in India overnight. Here's what he said about the economy and Fed policy. So if you have higher for longer, but you've got good growth and inflation is kind of contained, that's good. You just have more more fighting for capital and people paying up for capital. And the world needs it. It needs it for remilitarization, the green economy, the IRA Act, the CHIPS Act, huge deficit spending. But we need growth. If you actually have stagflation, that's not so good. So I just say right now it feels good. That fiscal stimulation was extraordinary. The monetary stimulus was extraordinary. That was a global phenomenon, more in the United States and elsewhere. But that's a little bit of a sugar high. And that's a little bit going to go away. And we're hoping you, we have a soft landing. But all these other things are there. QT, Ukraine, oil, gas this winter, um, disruption of trade flows. So, you know, I think good leadership on the part of you know, America, India, China, Europe can make, can make sure the negatives don't happen. But I, I'm putting myself in quite cautious category. And the negative that could happen could be a government shutdown. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. He got into some of the talk about what would happen if the world got to 7% interest rates. Right. He said the world's not prepared for it. I don't think he said that's something he's anticipating, but I guess it's a worst so case scenario. I would listen to him stuff. on the economy, and he said, I'm cautious yeah. at, at the very end. So yeah. we keep talking about, I'm glad I learned that expression gradually then all at once, because I, it, it fits in with what I think a lot of people think that that's going to happen. The Fed doesn't know either. Could you fathom them actually lowering rates next year? I don't know about lowering, but... Does that even make any sense to anybody anymore? The people, like, I'd like to say that we've seen the last... There's a lot of people that say that that was it, that that was the last one. This looks like... You you can't tell a pause from 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 the last one until until it happened. But I don't know. The whole question is whether we're actually restrictive 
right now in restrictive space. Are we in restrictive uh, territory at five well, it, and it, a half? The, the question also is whether you have actually tamed inflation. And some of that is kind of out of our control to some extent. Jamie Dimon, I read through a bunch of the write-throughs on yeah, it. He's blaming right. geopolitics, the situation in Ukraine, what that does for energy prices, what that does for food prices, what you might see coming out of that. His commentary is if, if they're going to have lower volumes and higher rates, meaning lower volumes of, of energy supply, lower volumes of food, things coming through, and higher interest rates at the time, there will be stress in the system. He said, Warren Buffett says, you find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out, yeah. that will be the tide going out. So that's his concern. That's not his base case scenario, but that is his concern about what could happen. And geopolitics is what he said was his biggest worry. President Biden's traveling to Michigan this morning. He's actually going to join the UAW picket line. I think his his possible rival in, in the 2024 election yeah. was ready to do it, too. Well, so this is, what, this are... is what pushed him. Donald Trump had been <laughs> saying he was going to go there. The politics are, if you lose Michigan, you're going to have a tough, tough time doing, yeah. winning the election. So it's the first time in over 100 years, first time ever, but in over 100 years, you've never had a sitting president oh, who goes to line? stand in, on the picket line. Um, but it, it is something that his chief rival was threatening to do. Exactly. And we had... Uh, we had Debbie Dingle on mm -hmm. last week, and she said, look, he could lose. I don't know if she said it on our air, but maybe she told me off, but off camera. But she had said he could lose Michigan because Trump really resonates with the auto workers and the other people workers. there. So yeah. now he's there. Um, it's a tough, you know, there's positives and negatives because inflation is the reason that people seem so sour uh, on the economy. He is standing, he's doing this, to st in, uh, in his words, stand in solidarity with the auto workers. Sources tell uh, NBC News that UAW President Sean Fain is expected to join the president on the picket line. And Phil Beau joins us now from Wayne, uh, Michigan. Morning, Phil. Morning, Joe. It's going to be, what, about five hours from now when we will see President Biden here outside the Michigan assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan. It's unclear how close we'll be able to get to him and whether or not we'll be able to ask him any questions or if this is gonna be more of a photo op so that the White House can say, hey, the president has long been in favor of organized labor. He is a pro-union president, and here's a shot of him uh, with the picketer. So here's what we expect when the president comes here a little bit later on today. He will meet with the strikers. They said earlier he's gonna walk the picket line. I'm not sure he's gonna walk the picket line, but he will be talking with them, joined by UAW President Sean Fain, and the message again, support those who are picketing. As for the negotiations between the UAW and the Big Three, remember yesterday when Ford said there are significant gaps between itself and the UAW? Well, as you take a look at shares of Ford, one interesting headline came out yesterday, late in the day. Ford said it is going to pause construction on a $3.5 billion EV battery plant that's going to be built just west of here in Marshall, Michigan. The company said not going into great detail here, but said that it's unsure if it can competitively operate the plant. Hmm, focus on the word competitive, because a short time later, the UAW issued this statement blasting Ford and its decision to pause development of that EV battery plant, saying this is a shameful, barely veiled threat by Ford to cut jobs. Closing 65 plants over the last 20 years wasn't enough for the big three. Now they want to threaten us with closing plants that aren't even open yet. We are simply asking for a just transition to electric vehicles, and Ford is instead doubling down on their race to the bottom. You know that's a sticking point right there. Clearly, the UAW would like to see those jobs uh, represented by the union. 
Ford probably is fighting them on that. We we'll, may find out more a little bit later on today. If you take a chair, look at shares of GM and Stellantis, keep in mind they're still talking with the UAW. And right now you're looking at just over 18,000 UAW members who are on strike here in the United States. For some context, that's 12% of the UAW membership. So it's a limited strike at this point, certainly one that the big three would like to see resolved. But that's where we are as we await President Biden visiting a little bit later on today. Guys, back to you. Like a, I don't know. That sounds like the ghost of Christmas future to, to me almost, Phil. That, I'm welcome to the, you know, they get, if they get everything that they want and make it that difficult and then EVs take fewer people on the assembly line, I mean, it just seems like it's Correct. a shrinking business. And, and, and you're, there's going to be a... Joe, not, not just, to get it... Not, yep. Go, not to get into the details here, a lot of this comes down to whether or not the UAW will represent workers at EV battery plants. A, a number of these plants that are being developed and built are going to be joint ventures. They're not under the master contract of GM, Ford, and Stellantis. The UAW would like them to be under that. The difference is the Marshall, Michigan plant, that is a fully owned subsidiary of Ford. So the UAW, and this is just my sense here of reading the tea leaves of these statements, I think the UAW is probably saying, wait a second, if you own it and it's not a joint venture, it should be under that master contract. And I suspect that Ford is pushing back saying, nope, we're, we're not ready to go there yet. So hopefully we'll find out more in the next day or two. It's not the China Hawks who didn't want Ford to open this plant because they don't like the partnership with China that's causing this. It's the talks with the UAW. Well, the, the China component of this is, is a significant part. Uh, and there are more than a few critics out there who are saying, remember, they are licensing the technology for the batteries within this plant from CATL. And that has a number of people in Washington saying, wait a second, what's the relationship here? Are these truly going to be Ford employees or will they be CATL employees as well, even though it's a wholly owned subsidiary by Ford? So this has been a contentious issue and a troubling, not a troubling, but a tough plant for Ford to first announce and then get built. Uh, they're in the process of having it built. Remember, they originally wanted to do this in Virginia. Governor Yunkin said, no, I don't, I don't want it, anything related with the Chinese auto industry here in the state. So now they put it here in Michigan. And yet it is at the center of, of what's going so on you here. You can't move. The big, three can't move. the big three can't move to right to work states, really. That would be too hard, right? But other, other proposed new ventures, et cetera, can go to right to work states. Correct. And remember, they're joint ventures. So they're typically set up between a big three automaker and a Korean battery company. The reason this one gets so much attention is because Ford working with CATL out of China, even oh. though they're licensing the technology, that has a number of people in Washington saying, hmm, we're not crazy about that. Phil about uh, thanks. Uh, you're going to witness some incredible things today, I guess, with the president there on the picket lines, theoretically. All right, thanks. Well, look out, world, here it comes. ChatGPT can now see, hear, and speak. That is according to an announcement from OpenAI. It says that the AI model can understand spoken words, respond with a synthetic voice, and process images. The update, which is available in the next two weeks, allows paying users to opt in to voice conversations on ChatGPT's mobile app and choose from five different synthetic voices for the bot's responses. The company addressed privacy concerns, saying that the th synthetic voices were developed using voice actors and not collected from strangers. Users will also be able to share images with ChatGPT. Chat, 
ChatGPT and highlight areas of focus or analysis. Things like asking what kind of clouds are in a photo. But guys, I don't know if you're Iron Man fans, but this sounds like it's getting closer and closer to Jarvis, right? Tony Stark's AI assistant that becomes a walking embodiment and real thing. I know you I just knew he had a pole on his plane. That's all I. What's this called, Jarvis? Jarvis. It's it's the just a rather very intelligent system, but it's 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 played by an actor who is you know like the incarnation of an AI bot. This is like oh, her. That, that, that Did doesn't you see her? seem right. So they didn't use a real. They didn't use real AI for it. But. So that's like cultural. But this, sort of. if, if this thing can see, hear, and think, you're getting yeah. a lot closer. Did to... Did I see what? Which? The movie Her. I did see part of that. That's, Is that, that uh, that's the same uh, thing. Phoenix, same thing. right? River Phoenix, right. Joaquin, right. yeah. Used to be, no, used, Brother. To, right. used to be Leaf. I think the bigger deal here, by the way, is not actually the voice stuff, because the voice stuff, I mean, we can all say that. No, it's serious. the thinking stuff. It's, I think it's the image stuff. The idea that you can feed it in an image and it will actually tell you everything that's in the image, how to fix it, how to work it. Because that, that breaks down some of our security protocols to this point. Well, it's just it's it's just it's a totally different approach to all of them. I mean, that's the the mind blowing part of the technology to me is that over the talk to it kind of situation we've been dealing with Siri and Alexa and yeah. all that. But you saw that you know Amazon just made this big investment in Anthropic. Yes, which we talked about this yesterday. Claude. Yeah. And so that's going to I I imagine that technology will end up on the other side of, of Alexa of Alexa or all yeah. the kind of services as well. They also said that they're, they're, it'll help you be. Uh, Give smarter recommendations for shopping and stuff too, but it's the right. it, it's that level stuff with the Alexa that I think is scary sci-fi stuff. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, media mogul Barry Diller on the state of streaming. They said, "Okay, we're only going after this streaming because it's the golden goose. That goose already goosed. Netflix got it." The Hollywood strikes, AI. AI, shmay I. I mean, I'm so sick of it. And much more. We'll be right back. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today, Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin speak to media mogul Barry Diller on the Squawk set. Stand by to roll it, stand Andrew by. Here's Andrew. Up and Andrew, cue. The writers and studios reaching a tentative deal uh, to end that strike five months uh, it has gone on for. No details yet, though, on the exact agreement. We've got the perfect guest, Barry Diller, IAC and Expedia chairman and senior executive is at the table. Good morning, sir. Morning, all. So we've been talking for, as we said, five months about this strike. You've been pretty outspoken. Who's the uh, the winner and who's the loser in all of this as you've watched You know, it? strikes are always like a miscalculation between both sides. This one is almost like uh, the crew of the Titanic, 10 minutes after the iceberg hits, decides to strike. Uh, meaning that it, it, this is not, given the convulsions that are going on, uh, the time to strike was not, was not particularly now. And the issues, go try and solve the existential issue of artificial intelligence and how it will be used. They spent like months, whatever, trying to craft words that would protect writers from AI. They ended up in a tortured paragraph or two that actually does nothing for no one, because nothing really could be done. So 
I, I, I thought you were describing the UAW strike for a second because there's so many similarities. And another industry facing all these upheaval, and now they're striking as they're going into what could yeah. be. Because that's when the contract was up. I mean, listen, it's the writers, fun. they could have, the economic issues were very, very minimal. They're not big issues. They will not, they will have some benefit as these things, when you renew a contract, there are upgrades in certain areas. There's some protections that they've gotten. They've certainly gotten some things. Fine, good. They could have gotten it all in the first 10 days. But you don't think the economics are that much better for the writers than they used to be? Than what? Than what they had? Than what they had. No, they're a little better. They're not, they're not profoundly better. It's not like you're going to right. see. I mean, the, issues for, the issue for writers is the issues for the industry. You had this post-COVID thing where, and Netflix thing, where you went from 100 series to 500 series, 500 shows within a couple of years. So everybody was working really perfectly well and lovely. Don't talk let about me, it. It's not ratified yet, is it? You're going to talk about it. You're going to talk about it. I mean, that would be a joke. One of the critiques, and you've now seen it, by the way, it's happening in the UAW uh, fight as well, is that there is a, a relook at executive compensation at the top of the firms in Hollywood. What's you, this? Where's this relook? I'm saying that that was a, you, you heard it over and over and over. Oh, during the strike. During the strike. Yeah, you, you mostly think, heard it from the head of SAG. Right. Uh, do you think that the people. criticized the top 10 people. Right. Do you which think, I said, well, you know, the top 10 actors make more than the top 10 exactly. uh, uh, executives for sure. By the way, that doesn't justify anything, but making these relative value kind of bimbo statements also doesn't really do anybody any good. Uh, the, what, what is the issue that, uh, about you know, compensation, the compensation for a long time in media has been outside the comp compensation limits in any other business. I don't think it makes economic sense, what but about, there it is. What about the transparency argument that in digital, uh, in streaming, you wouldn't get paid for a, a series the same way you would have in syndication? Look, and it great, was Netflix. It took a lot what, to get Netflix to the table to say, okay, we're going to pay for performance on that. Well, they're not, yes. They did get some residual relief, which they should have gotten. The thing is, Netflix, in a, one of its endless genius moves, said there's no transparency. We do not. Right. The entertainment business was founded on the idea that if you got audience in a seats, you got paid per seat. Right. You should get paid for okay? performance. So you got right. paid by how many people right. looked at your stuff. Right. Netflix came along and said, no, we're not, we're not going to tell you that. We don't want you to know. Barry, play out so. the, the chessboard now in terms of what you think the media landscape looks like. If we were sitting here, I don't know, three years from now, yeah. and I don't know what you think is going on in the regulatory environment, uh, we're going to talk just a, a bit about this Amazon case and uh, Google and the like, but what do you think happens? I mean, obviously, Bob Iger has already said that he plans to, I don't know if he's going to split the company up, but he's going to sell off ABC. I hope or not. He's gonna, you hope not. Listen, I think that I understand that the studios, when Netflix revolutionized or the business went digital streaming, said we've got to go into the streaming business direct to consumer. I understand that. But to go in at the cost level they did was unrealistic. So if you push this forward, the thing that has to happen is they do, they are cutting their costs, they will reduce their expenditures, they will reduce their, so to speak, play in grabbing digital consumers, the, and the result will be there will be smaller entities. 
they'll be profitable. I'm not saying they'll go away right. or whatever. But what I do think they ought to do, and I've thought this for a long time, they have broadcast networks, each of them, mm -hmm. that reach everyone. Not the uh, 66 million or whatever the millions are that are still, let's say, 47 million or so on cable. Broadcast networks reach everyone. Why not invest in your broadcast networks? Why not put some of your good shows, instead of putting them over here, put them over there. You control that. You don't control this because you've got a competitor that's already won the game called Netflix. So invest in that. Figure out how to make that cable bundle, which, by the way, the reason the cable bundle was destroyed was not really because of Netflix coming in on its own. It was destroyed because for 10 years, the producers kept jacking up the costs of each of their programs beyond uh, anything that was realistic. The result is when an alternative came along, people said, pull it. Let's pivot, uh, if we could, to AI, because that was a piece of the strike. You didn't like discussion. that answer? I love no, the I, answer. I, I think, like look, it. actually, we're, we're in the linear business. But, and I, so, lo I, I love I, my bundle. I think it's fabulous too, right? if we can I, keep the be, bundle together. Of course you should. Of course the attempts should be made to take the, their owned assets, their old assets, and look to revive them. They can be revived. How? All right, sorry. No, no, no. That, 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 well, I mean, that's, like, they got what, horrible shows. They on, would say, how do we do it? They don't put anything Because they took... They <clears throat> said, okay, we're only going after this streaming because it's the golden goose. Right. That goose already goosed. Netflix got it. So it's not, by the way, that it won't at some point be a profitable business, right. but it's not a business by definition. So stop funding, can't raise stop funding, that stop funding that stu the streaming stuff. Sorry? Stop streaming the fun the streaming. Stop funding the streaming stuff at the expense of the old stuff. Is that? Well, by the way, fund both though. Don't just simply say we're t putting all our great stuff in order to get subscribers because that's that goose. Yeah. You got a network, again, a network that is profitable, that has declining viewership, and why does it have? Because you don't put any hit shows on. Okay, but what do you do about the sports piece of it? So you have the traditional legacy companies that need sports, want sports, and have to bid against Apple, yes. Amazon, Google. How does that play itself Boom. out when, when there are going to be companies that can play. afford to pay more and maybe irrationally so? It does not play. Meaning, if it, what happened is the technology, I mean, it, it, Hollywood hegemony over a hundred years, no matter what came along, they were able to buy it. They didn't invent cable news. Ted Turner did. They bought it. In other words, right. Warners bought it. They didn't invent uh, uh, sports. ESPN came along, invented sports. ABC bought it. So they were able to suck up everything in the entire entertainment world until tech came along and they ain't buying it. Right. So you have players, Netflix, Amazon, and Apple, that have vastly more resources than they will ever have. And that's the end of it. Yes. That doesn't and so mean, if you're Bob Iger with mean, ESPN, what happens? It doesn't mean that there's not competition. It, that you can't right. compete. You can, but you have to find Is other it, ways to compete. Does this mean the same thing for movies? So you don't, lately, every, studio, they make movies to put on streaming. And suddenly, I'm thinking AMC, I'm thinking I'd like to go to the, just in Telluride, I love the movies, I love them, and I want to go see them. And I don't think they're all 
Well, the most expedient, the terribly most expedient thing happened is when Warner's and Jason, during COVID, they had all these movies, and he said, "I'm putting, I'm not putting them out theatrically because there's no theatrical. I'm putting them on streaming." He taught the audience, "You don't have to go to movie theaters anymore." They re, and they're still in that mindset because people are going again. Uh, to, 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 to some degree, not a lot. Not anything to sustain I'll a business. I'll just mention one other thing. So just, just a personal anecdote. So let's say you're, you're, you're Taylor Swift. They wanted to do this concert. And they go to the studios. All the studios are so in love with streaming and so, jonesing so much to get that working that they said, we got to do it on streaming. So they totally went around the studios and went straight to AMC to do it because of the obsession yes. with streaming. Yes, I think it's... Uh, I, I think it's and a, Netflix has already won, so they're all a, barking a, up the wrong goose, neck of the woods. Goose anyway. gone mad. Um, let me ask about AI because you have been uh, quite AI, public about AI. May I? I mean, I'm so sick of You're it. You're sick of it? <laughs> well, but I, you look, were you were ready to sue. Oh no, you are going to do that. You're going to sue. But the, but the, 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 I'm just, you know, the gobbling up of uh, uh, of every piece of noise about AI infecting your toenails. Uh, is not that it is not transform transformative. It certainly will be over time. But I'm just tired of hearing this uh, kind of this hype noise. As to uh, litigation or you were, as to You whatever. were trying to put together a group of publishers. Yes. To sue ChatGPT and others. No, what, we're, what we want to do is a very simple thing. Okay. Copyright. Copyright law has in it something called, am I boring you, has something called fair use. Right. Fair use means that you can take an excerpt thing, something, and not pay for it. Fair use needs to be redefined because what they have done is sucked up everything. Mm -hmm. And that violates, we believe, the base of the copyright law. All we want to do is establish that there is no such thing as fair use for AI which gives us standing. Right. Once we have standing, then, depending upon how this works out over time, there, there is at least status. Right now, we have no status. They got all our stuff. How do you now, do it? Most companies have now said, as we have, our Dot Dash Meredith, right. which is the kind of largest publisher, we've said, you can't do this anymore. And they won't from now on, but they got all the old yeah, stuff. Yeah, do, do they have to pay you for that? So, the, the, if in fact, if you violate the copyright law, like you write something, you make something, and somebody takes it, with it literally appropriates it, yeah. we believe that is simple wrong. Okay, so that's in the copyright law. Once you get that, then at least you have standing. That's all we want to do. But do they have to pay you for that, or, or do, how do you make the AI? Well, let me ask you a question. It. If you have I think copyright on something, but what's right, like there is some kind of exchange yeah. now. Right now. All these conversations that we're having and others are having with all of the chatters, uh, they say, yeah, we're happy to make arrangements. Then what percent of zero would you like? Because there's no <laughs> well, revenue. That's what I was going to ask you. So you've had conversations with Sam Altman, who's a friend of yours. Yes. He's also on the board of Expedia. Well, he was. Was on the board of Expedia. <laughs> so here's, here's Sam Altman. Him, we let him who's, off. Who, who's, you, you let him off the board. Um, we let him off after he'd done us a, a, a number of great services. First of all, helping, term, helped also helping you with AI. But frankly. he helped us enormously. And, and you think of the next thing to pay attention to on AI is not search and chat and stuff like that. It's when it goes from research 
to action, when it can autonomously get things done for you. Right. Think of travel, being able to say, I want to go to Istanbul. It knows enough about you, enough about all right. of your preferences, that it can basically ask you right. one or two questions and then actually go and execute the transaction. Oh. Right now, it's research. When it turns to action, everything changes. Where I was going to go with this, though, is yes. if you can't get a deal with Sam, who speak? can you get a deal with? You could, we could make a... Andrew, we could make deals, and several deals have been made. They are meaningless. There's no revenue. Until you establish and the thing that Sam and I disagree about and do have talked about right. is he believes fair use allows him to take all of publishers' stuff. Right. We believe it doesn't. We think that can be adjudicated. Once that's done, everything changes. Barry, can I ask you about big news that I think surprised all of us last week? Um, Rupert Murdoch announcing that he's stepping down. He's, he's not stepping down. Well, okay, announcing he's that he's, down. What do you he's think? out of it. He, I mean, you've known him for has, forever. He has 100% of the votes. Until he dies, his children can simply nod. Uh, <laughs> so he has all the votes. He's awake. If Rupert is awake, he's making decisions. Full stop. And what do you think he's ultimately going to decide to do with the business? Is it remain an independent decide? business? Does he ultimately sell I don't know. Fox? What do you think happens here? I don't think he's, I mean, I don't know. I doubt he sells. Why would he sell? Who's he going to sell to? Who's going to buy this stuff anymore, by the way? He wants to put them back together. Who would bother? He wants to put the two businesses back together. Well, so I think that, you know, separating them made no sense. It was done, you know, a lot of these separations like CBS uh, and, and, and Paramount and all of that, uh, uh, or Viacom, whatever. All that stuff was just financial engineering. It made no logical sense. I mean, News Corp being together with Fox, they're both essentially publishers in right. a sense. I mean, that's what they both do. One does it in print, the other does it on air. So why separate them? Let me ask you a different question. Uh, that was just a valuation issue. Uh, and it had, by the way, it had nothing to do with the assets everybody talks about. It had to do with the fact they owned Realtor.com and there was an issue on how you value it. What do you think of the regulatory environment today? And I ask, Eddie Q is going to be testifying uh, in this Google case. You've been after Google for quite some time, but at the same time, there's I think a, Google, like, there's a whole bunch of folks who think the FTC has gone too far. I do think I think they've gone stupid. They haven't necessarily gone too far, but uh, uh, Google, which is an absolute monopoly in search, now maybe this will change because a player comes in and tech comes in and maybe pulls it away. But by the way. With all of Microsoft's great good work and being in the lead with uh, OpenAI right. chat, they've gone from 3% to maybe 3.2%. Google has 90 plus percent of the search market. I believe anybody who's got a, has got market power has to have regulation. So right. they should so be you, so you regulated. So you think what the FTC is doing? You just said you thought the FTC is stupid. No, I think the FTC is stupid on Microsoft and and um, uh, Activision. Activision. Right. Word I don't even want to say, but on, on <laughs> Microsoft and Activision, I think that was dumb, and I think some of their other pieces of litigation are really quite stupid. But I think that regulating right. Google, obviously regulating AI right. to protect it, obviously, obviously, How do you feel obviously. About Amazon? I, I don't. I don't know what it's about. I mean, in other words, I don't, I'm not. Right. 
I, I can't comment on that because I don't know enough. You were leading Drudge with Hollywood is like Armageddon or something. You remember that story? You just had a very negative view on, on the, the, is it just old Hollywood? Is, is No, I don't have a negative view at all. I think, again, what, what were you, what I was think, the point of, of, no, of, of, I, of what, what do they need? I don't know. I'm excited about the future for movies and everything else. Are you or is it? it, it is I'm always excited. Listen, so long as you've got somebody in a room with an idea, and they can get access, which now they can. They always could, by the way. Good ideas do not lie somewhere under a table forever. They get exposed, they get out, and if they're good, people come and see them. That is true, was true, and will always be true. Good. So, so what's for the downside? Sure, what, what, what makes well, there's you no downside. The, the, pessimistic, or what, what, how's it gonna change so that it's not so as great as it once was? What happened is, as I said, Hollywood dominated media for literally the last hundred years. That is over. Those companies who did dominate it, the old studios, so to speak, they're not like they're going away, nor should they. They have to, though, reform themselves given the environment they're in. The environment they're in is absolutely different than anything they've encountered since they started. That's all. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about politics. You've been a very outspoken Democrat for a very long time. Oh, leave me and alone. And we just had these polls. No, we just had these polls over the weekend <laughs> yes, that showed horrible. either Biden yeah. uh, being even uh, with President Trump, or in certain cases, ten points below President Trump. What do you make of that? I make it a very sad thing that here we are talking about two. I'm not against old guys, but we're talking about <laughs> two old guys, and we're bottling up all the real talent that's around in both parties. And I think that's just a very, very you, Are you suggesting thing. you think that Biden should, should, should not run? No, I don't think he should run. I, I really think, I think, I thought, for whatever the hell my little voice is worth, which is a zilch, I thought when he ran, he should have said, I am a one-term candidate. I'm here to heal the country, I'm here to get rid of the toxicity from that horror, and I will serve one term. So I thought that what he started. But do you think there's another candidate on the Democrat side that could beat Trump if you think Trump is the ultimate nominee on the other end? I, well, I, look, an aardvark could beat Trump, uh, to me, in an open, decent race. And should, he can't, I mean, I, you know, I like Chris Christie. Uh, I like Chris Christie because he's in the fight, and I really support him and have in the fight. The idea that this man still stands is just shocking to me. I mean, it is, so it's a reality, and I guess I should pay attention to reality. But, but. There it is. Barry Diller never wanted to hold back. Thank you, sir. Doesn't want either one. You don't want either one running, so. But that doesn't Pardon me? Help. You don't want either one running, so that doesn't really help. I'd like, I'd like some new talent right. in the game. And there's, there is some talent. How could you not want that? All right. I'm Very sorry. Good. What are you, what are you, what are you <laughs> no, apologizing sorry. for? Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. This was great. Really appreciate it. And 
that's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Please tell us what you think of this podcast. You can find us on X, where we are tweeting. Our handle is at Squawk CNBC. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And Squawk Pod is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen. Please keep doing it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.